I'm Maranke Ocean Martin, one of your hosts. And I'm Grace Ocean, your co-host. Thank you for joining us for another episode of What's Going On? Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean. If this is your first time you've tuned into this podcast, we thank you and hope that you will tune in regularly. This podcast is for the millions of African and Caribbean people living in the United States seeking a connection with the people and places they love and left behind in their home country. What's Going On, Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean, intends to bring you a bi-weekly diet of interviews, discussions, and music that highlight life in African and Caribbean countries. Join us as we follow social and economic development issues in and around Africa and the Caribbean, including issues about youth, health, education, business, and entrepreneurism. We explore these issues from different generational perspectives and understandings, which we hope will ultimately open people's minds and bridge the generational divide. Dr. Kingsley Linton joins us today to talk about the implications of the coronavirus pandemic on African nations. Dr. Linton is a communications specialist for the United Nations and the former managing editor of the UN magazine, Africa Renewal. In addition to 16 years at the UN, he has extensive international experience in journalism, public outreach and social mobilization, business leadership and community development. Dr. Kingsley Linton was born in Nigeria and has traveled extensively throughout Africa. He joins us today to help us to understand the impact of the coronavirus in Africa. Welcome, Kingsley. Thank you for having me, Moronke, and uh, congratulations on your podcast. Thank you. So you're no stranger to working with Africa to battle deadly viruses and disease. First, it was the Ebola virus, which ravaged part of Africa. And you were on the forefront of dealing with that crisis as a member of the UN Ebola Task Force. Tell us a little about that experience. Great question, Moronke. Uh, I was on vacation in Nigeria in December 2014 when I got an email uh, regarding my selection to join the UN mission for Ebola emergency response. Uh, As you know, at the time, Ebola was ravaging West Africa, particularly uh, Liberia, Ghana, and Sierra Leone. So I returned to New York immediately. Uh, prepared myself, and I returned again to West Africa, uh, Accra. Accra at the time was uh, the headquarters for the Ebola uh, mission. A few days in Accra, I had an orientation, basically to get me to know more about the virus and how to practice what we currently refer to right now as social distancing and hand washing. Uh, I was deployed to Sierra Leone. Now, when I arrived in Sierra Leone on January 1, that is New Year Day, some 250 people were dying on a daily basis. Wow. So let me put this uh, in perspective. Sierra Leone's population is about 8 million. And most Sierra Leoneans live in the capital city. And most deaths were recorded in the capital city. 
So even from the airport when I arrived, you could feel a sense of, of fright, of panic. You could feel it in the air. Faces were gloomy. And I started work that very day. Uh, I'm an information guy. And Ebola response, like the current pandemic or other epidemics, rely heavily on people getting the right kind of information. So um, at the time, there was a lot of misinformation and misconceptions regarding Ebola. For instance, there were also a lot of uh, traditional medicine practitioners who said that they could cure Ebola until they themselves started dying before people believed that they didn't have the powers to cure Ebola. Anyway, we developed at the time a communications campaign plan that we implemented. We had the president of the country lead it. Uh, we enlisted the support of uh, other influential members of uh, the community, including including uh, clergymen, women, youth leaders, traditional leaders, and the rest. Um, once I, there was a time that I was I, I was actually this an experience that I will never forget. I was actually inside an Ebola lab to understand the processes involved in testing. In testing, uh, of course, I had to wrap myself up in prote- protective gear. So it was, it was a very scary moment. But within six months, we were able to tackle Ebola and everybody got a self-relief. So it's uh, pretty alarming now that uh, a few years later, we are now dealing with uh, coronavirus. Thank you for that. That must have been um, a, a very frightening experience uh, for you, uh, arriving in, in Accra uh, with all, that, with all that, um, that fear, as you say, in the air. Yes, so turning was. now... Turning now to the coronavirus, how has the United Nations' experience with Ebola shaped their response to this new worldwide pandemic in Africa? And how does this pandemic differ from the Ebola crisis in Africa? Okay. Uh, First, as you know, the UN is very heavily involved in efforts to combat uh, the coronavirus. I will speak to my personal perspective. But regarding the difference between the two, I mean, the, this is a pandemic. This is global. The Ebola team was restricted at the time to just three countries. I mean, it had uh, appeared in a few countries like Nigeria and Ghana, but predominantly in these three countries. So globally, uh, everyone came to Liberia or Sierra Leone or Guinea to help fight it. So you would have the Chinese heavily involved in response in um, Sierra Leone at the time. The Brits were there. Uh, the French went to Guinea. The American military forces were in Liberia. So it was easy. It was easy, I would say, to, to deal with. Now, regarding uh, uh, the current uh, situation, it's a, a significant first lesson, in my view, from the Ebola response is that uh, it can be defeated. You know, Ebola was defeated. So that kind of should give everyone hope that any pandemic is defeatable. It requires the collective effort of everyone, government, ordinary citizens, first responders, and so on. Of course, the first responders are the ones on the front lines, but the rest must, the rest of us must follow the guidance provided by experts. So the UN, to begin with, is communicating this message powerfully that we all can work together to defeat coronavirus. The second point I would like to mentioned is that the UN is moving quickly to deliver uh, necessary medical equipment to countries. Of course, in coordination with those countries, Pan-African institutions such as, such as the African Union and other partners. 
I'm aware, for example, that the centers, African Centers for Disease Control is enlisting the support and services of many people who were involved in the Ebola fight. So a lot of people who were part of the Ebola fight are now working with African Centers for Disease Control, you know, uh, uh, deploying their experience. The UN is also playing an advocacy role, rallying the world and stressing that no one be left behind. So the UN believes this is a global problem that requires global effort, which means that we are all under attack and we all must fight against this common enemy. As you know, the UN is uh, a multilateral organization and it is precisely for problems like the current one we are facing that the UN was created. Now, the UN is also thinking ahead. Uh, although we, we believe that we will overcome the current crisis, we also believe that there will be cost. For example, a recent study was just released in early April by the African Union indicates that as many as 20 million jobs will be lost in Africa. You know, of course, Africa has got its socioeconomic problems, but to lose 20 million jobs on the continent is just crazy. Uh, and the continent could be losing up to $500 billion, according to that report. Now, Africa's uh, biggest economies, such as Nigeria, South Africa, Angola, Morocco, Egypt, Ghana, and the rest, we have uh, their economies decimated. In fact, uh, just Angola and Nigeria alone, the two uh, top oil-dependent economies on the continent, will be losing up to $65 billion in earnings. That's what the report says. So this means a lot. It means that a lot will have to be done to revive these countries' economies when the pandemic is over. So the UN is already canvassing international support for suspension of debt repayments for these countries to just to give them a lifeline. And uh, there, we have uh, the UN development programs in the various countries in Africa who are already currently involved in preparing for a post-pandemic uh, development development agenda. Those numbers that you cited, 20 million jobs lost, is quite staggering uh, for for economies that are just kind of uh, um, emerging, wouldn't you say? Yes, they are. They are they are quite staggering. I mean, a lot of uh, countries in Africa already face a lot of challenges, socioeconomic challenges. And to lose 20 million jobs is, is just... Uh, it's just uh, incredible. It's unimaginable. So after the pandemic, countries are going to have huge challenges providing jobs for the teaming population. Africa, Africa is the youngest continent. So there are millions and millions of young Africans who will likely be job, jobless. And the nascent industries will have uh, difficulties uh, uh, getting up once more. So that's why the UN is heavily involved, even right now, you know, sounding the alarm, making sure that international development partners are pulling together and that uh, they understand what Africa will face when uh, this is over. Wow. So, um, so let's, let's talk a little uh, more specifically about Africa and, um, and, and what uh, COVID-19 is doing to the people. So a breakdown of the numbers by uh, the WHO and uh, John Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center 
suggests that Africa and the Caribbean are not seeing those the, the calamitous numbers, those catastrophic numbers that we're seeing in the U.S., for, for example. Uh, but those numbers are climbing in many um, African countries, albeit um, slowly. So, so what is the situation in Africa? And which countries are at the greatest risk? And what are people doing on the ground to deal with this? Uh, forgive me for throwing three questions at you simultaneously, <laughs> but I know that um, you know you'll be able to uh, to manage uh, your response uh, to all three of them for us. Thank you. Uh, wonderful question again. Um, I was looking at the figures uh, just before this interview. By yesterday, you know there were close to twenty thousand cases in Africa, about uh, uh, one thousand deaths. And the good news is that uh, we also had uh, more than 4,000 recoveries. Now, the hardest hit countries are Egypt, uh, Algeria, Morocco, South Africa, Cameroon, and Ghana. Uh, as you know, Africa has, I think I mentioned earlier, Africa has its own centers for disease control and prevention, you know, which is already happy train laboratory technicians on testing. Uh, Personally, I do not want to focus too much on the fact that Africa has not been as hard hit as other regions or other countries. Uh, we are talking about 20,000 cases right now. But remember that even in the U.S. or Italy or China, you know, that have recorded far more cases, uh, it began with just one person. Just yesterday, yesterday, a UN report estimated that as many as 300,000 Africans will likely be killed in this pandemic, and that some 29 million others will fall into the uh, extreme poverty bracket. How did the, the UN come up with this estimate of 300,000? Um, since right now we're looking at uh, uh, 20,000 cases in Africa, and we're already three months into this pandemic. Yeah. But as you know, uh, it's, it didn't arrive Africa exactly the same time it came to uh, countries in the West and in Asia. That's number one. But like what uh, experts are doing, they do a lot of modeling. In the U.S., for example, at a certain time, uh, it was reported that more than 100,000 people could get killed, and that was revised downwards. Uh, in Africa, we are talking about a thousand deaths now, but from experience, uh, it appears that the pandemic uh, or cases multiply at a geometric proportion. So that means that it could be 10 cases today, but in a week's time, we'll be talking about uh, 2,000 cases. So they had experts that did a whole lot of this modeling, and then they estimated that. Given the current trend, the current pattern, and with what they know has happened in other parts of the world, Africa could be, could be losing up to 300,000 citizens. Uh, in addition to the fact that about 29 million others will fall into the extreme poverty bracket. Extreme poverty bracket, according to the UN, means people who live on less than $2 a day, which is the threshold for extreme poverty. So uh, it will be dangerous for Africa to treat this with levity. You know, to treat it with carelessness, to, to say, for example, we are not getting a lot of cases, therefore we can go about business as usual. No, it's not business as usual. But the good news is that, and this is where I think that uh, 
you know, the doomsday scenario may not evolve, may not happen, but is that a lot of governments in Africa are taking decisive actions to contain the virus. So a lot of testing is going on. Uh, they are enforcing social distancing rules. They have basically shut down these countries just to arrest the situation. Now, at the individual level, uh, Africa is uh, a collectivistic society. You know, we all we are all communal. Uh, we are uh, my brother's keeper. The whole notion of I'm not happy unless the other person is happy. So we are all together. Now that is playing out well, and that is uh, that is exciting. You know, you if, in Liberia, for example, I've read reports of tailors who are churning out face masks and other materials and distributing to the poor for free. And there have been companies in various countries in Africa that are manufacturing sanitizers and other necessities uh, so that uh, people will be able to have them and they can, uh, they can uh, mitigate uh, the impact of this virus. So the philanthropy is unbelievable at this time. It gladdens my heart. Now, it is tough for people economically, but many governments are adopting policies to push on the effects. Policies such as lowering the interest rates, you know, for people who are who have borrowed money or who are borrowing money, suspending debt repayments. So people are supposed to pay money by the end of this month, pay debt. You know, that is deferred to later date. Uh, waiving of uh, ATM fees is one, it's another such uh, policy. And then a whole lot of safety nets are being provided for the vulnerable, including the internally displaced persons, so that uh, they will be able to survive uh, survive this virus. So the cases, the numbers are low. One death is a death too many. However, what the experts are telling us is that this could get out of hands. Now, this does not take into consideration that there could be a vaccine soon. We don't know when that comes. It could be in the next one year or 18 months. Or there could be a combination of uh, medication that uh, may help slow the spread of the virus. Or there could be some breakthrough that cracks it. We don't know that. But with the current trend uh, in Africa, we are sending the alarm. People have got to be careful because this has the potential to take hundreds of thousands of lives. So that is, uh, that is, that is it uh, regarding that. Wow, yes. Um, thank you so much for that. And I, I want to push a little, a little further on that question because, um, you know, I've heard from a few people in Nigeria and what I'm told is that um, everyone is in lockdown, but there are no provisions made for people to survive without work, without food, without money. Uh, so what, what can you tell us a little bit about that? Is, is, is the United Nations working with individual countries uh, to support this lockdown effort and provide uh, relief to citizens? And, and Nigeria, um, unlike Ghana, um, is, is pretty dense, uh, as, as we know. And Lagos of places, you know, the, the, the communities are practically um, on top of each other. So, so how are they? Are is the United Nations looking at individual countries and their specific needs and helping them with that? And if so, what's going on with Nigeria? Yes, uh, definitely. First, the Nigeria government is taking a lot of actions uh, to help its citizens. I mean, first of all, 
ensuring that citizens can go through this is first and foremost the responsibility of the government. However, the UN is involved, the UN is helping out. For example, the UN began by donating $2 million to the Nigerian government to procure essential medical supplies and to care for individuals who have got, uh, whose cases have been confirmed. And just a few days ago, I think that is on 14th April, the UN handed over to the Nigerian gov government about 50 ventilators and other essential supplies. And on 16th, 16th April, I think again uh, two days ago, the UN delivered the consignment of uh, around 10,000 test kits, 15 oxygen concentrators, and various uh, PPE equipment to the Nigerian Centers for Disease Control. So that is uh, that. Now, uh, another area where the UN is helping out is uh, to raise awareness among the people. So the UN uh, uh, has mobilized Nigerian celebrities. Of course, you know, the Nigerian film and entertainment industry is very popular in Africa and around the world. Uh, Nollywood, which is what the Nigerian film industry is called, is second only to uh, Bollywood of India in terms of the number of films that are produced, actually more than the Hollywood in the United States. So popular uh, uh, Nollywood actors, uh, musicians, uh, and comedians have been mobilized by the UN you know, to help raise awareness of, uh, of uh, coronavirus in terms of uh, social distancing. Then the UN has also set up uh, what it calls the Nigeria COVID-19 Response Fund, which is a single national platform and financing framework that will help coordinate and mobilize resources and help deploy uh, strategies. So the idea for setting up this fund is is to provide a one-stop shop, you know, that uh, we enhance synergies among all the responders so that everybody who has anything to contribute can channel it through that rather than people working in disparate ways. So that is uh, how the UN uh, is, is uh, helping out uh, at the moment. And they are, what is happening in Nigeria, uh, they're also involved in supporting, they're also supporting other countries, various other countries on the continent. And then, of course, the UN is working with the African Union, uh, the new Partnership for Africa's Development, which is uh, NEPAD, and other Pan-African institutions. Just to make sure that uh, the pandemic uh, doesn't uh, wreck a lot of havoc on the continent. Thank you. But Kingsley, you and I are, are both Nigerians, and uh, so you won't be offended when I ask how well or how the UN is ensuring that the, the initial funds that were dispersed in April 14 and the COVID-19 fund, the, the Nigerian COVID-19 fund that you said the UN uh, set up, how are we ensuring that they're, they're being spent appropriately? You know, with Nigerian, Nigeria is synonymous with, with corruption here. Um, you know, not, not to be a downer on this because this is very important. How are we ensuring, though, that um, these monies are being used, used for, for what, what they're supposed to be used for? Is, is, is there talk about that or have there been areas of, of coping with that? Because this is a reality, uh, regardless of, of what we would like to think. <laughs> I think, I think that you know you have uh, UN officials on the ground, 
and uh, our UN representatives in Nigeria continue to work with Nigerian government. So there is active engagement with those who are responsible for, you know, implementing whatever strategies that have been put in place to address, uh, to deal with the uh, coronavirus. Now, uh, this is a very strange situation that the world has found itself in. And I think that uh, everyone is panicking right now. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, Nigeria is going to be one of the countries that will be very badly affected by coronavirus because uh, Nigeria is uh, Africa's largest exporter of oil. And the, uh, the price of oil right now is under $30. So which, that's a huge, a huge dent on Nigeria's post. Now, uh, so Nigeria has got massive, massive uh, socioeconomic problems to address. Now, I do not think that at this stage that anyone in government would, anyone in government would think that, you know, they want to mismanage the coronavirus fund. I think that would be, that would be crazy to even contemplate. Uh, and I think that uh, the Nigeria government has got its own, its own, uh, its own uh, policies. Its own uh, uh, Nigeria government has got uh, a raft of actions it is taking against people who are involved in corruption. But that is for the Nigerian government. But uh, the UN continues to promote uh, good governance, and the UN believes that uh, uh, with uh, coronavirus fund that. Uh, it is unimaginable that anybody would want to mismanage those funds. And in addition to that, as I mentioned earlier, UN officials are on the ground and uh, they continue to engage with the Nigerian government officials to make sure that appropriate uh, or the right actions are taken in terms of deployment of these resources and, uh, and, uh, and uh, how they are accounted for. Wow, that, that gives me um, some some degree of confidence there, um, what you've said. Thank you. Uh, let's keep our fingers crossed and pray that that is uh, the case. So so we're going to move on a little bit here. We started, you started talking a little bit about um, the, the young people in, um, in Africa and this, the, the impact on them. So my question here is two fronts. How is this pandemic affecting young people versus the elderly? We, what we're seeing around the world, supposedly, is that young people tend to be more carriers and the elderly tend to be more victims. Is that the pattern that's showing up here? I guess let's deal with that first. Is that the pattern that we're seeing in Africa? Uh, I think, let me just echo what I think we already know, which is that everyone is at risk. Everyone. So it doesn't matter whether you are young or old. Uh, and I know that we have all read reports that people with weaker immune systems, particularly the elderly, and those with pre-existing conditions are more susceptible to the virus. However, a young person who is careless and who contracts it could transmit the virus to their elderly parents or grandparents. So I'm not sure that anyone, no matter how young they are, uh, would like to lose their parents or grandparents. So I would just echo what all the experts are saying, and that is that everyone has to be careful. You know, everyone, both young and old, have to make sure that they follow the guidelines that are being put forth by experts and that uh, everyone is safe because 
so long as one person has it, has it, even if you are six years old, everybody is uh, at risk. So that is how I would uh, I would characterize that. Uh, what was the other question again? Uh, the the second question was about, and you started talking about earlier the economic impact of this on uh, young people. I think one of the numbers that you had uh, indicated was that um, twenty million jobs will be lost, and the most, uh, and it's the young people because Africa is, as you said, a young continent. Lots of young people will will feel the the effect um, of this the most. And you know, to to help us with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up with another question. Unless you want to answer that one on its own, but the other question that I was gonna ask you, and it's up to you how you deal with this, is that when this pandemic is is over, what issues do you see as challenges that must be addressed immediately? Okay, so the I mean a lot of the issues that must be addressed, in my view, this is my personal view are the issues that already exist, but but have been compounded because of the virus. And a lot of these issues are socioeconomic. For example, youth unemployment. You know, hundreds of, about 200 million Africans, uh, young people, don't have jobs. And when young people don't have jobs, then they become restive. So if you look at many countries that that have conflict, and you actually drill down as to the cause of those conflicts, you will find out that it's, it is social uh, economic related. People do not have jobs who have no means of livelihood and get attracted to groups that uh, want to formate trouble in, in countries. So looking for jobs for young people would be, would be very key. Uh, the, other, the other problems for Africa would be how the put together strategies that revive their individual economies. Now, Africa is arguably one of the richest continents in the world. It has huge deposits of minerals, whether it's bauxite or rutile or gold or diamond and everything else. It's got oil and all that. So what we do not have in Africa is we do not add value to our commodities. So you realize that about 75% of the world cocoa uh, is produced in Ivory Coast, in Ghana and Nigeria. However, uh, uh, farmers who produce cocoa earn less than eight percent of the profits from this cocoa. Because this cocoa are exported overseas, and then they are then processed and then resold to to countries in Africa. So, one of the ways that Africa can revive its economies is to begin to industrialize to add value to their product. Now, recently, uh, there was the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement that was signed by African countries. Uh, It started uh, in 2018, and then 2019, it was ratified, and that agreement was expected to enter into force as from July this year, 2020. So the Free Trade Agreement would allow Africans to trade, trade among themselves. Now, intra-Africa trade, that is trade within Africa at the moment, is just 17%. Now, if you compare that with Europe, uh, intra-European trade is more than 50%. So what it means is that we are trading, but we are trading with the other regions of the world. So a lot of the money that should be retained in Africa is going out. So the free trade area that 
ought to begin in July this year, would have been, in my view, a game changer for Africa. Now, that is probably going to be delayed because of coronavirus. But for Africa countries to benefit more from free trade, then they have to industrialize. So there's going to be the provision of uh, catalytic uh, uh, services, such as electricity. You cannot industrialize unless you have electricity. You cannot industrialize unless you have uh, a modern transport system. So African countries will have to modernize their infrastructure, particularly uh, the provision of energy, so that uh, they're able to support uh, their industries and then produce goods that the continent uh, can, uh, can, uh, can, uh, can utilize. Now, Africa's population right now is about 1.2 billion people, and the GDP is from 2.2 trillion. That's huge. So if we then have one continent with a huge population, one market, then it makes Africa even more attractive. So that means that countries in Asia or in Europe, all of these other will be running to Africa to deal with an Africa, a united Africa, a unified Africa, rather than individual countries who, who you know, go to the negotiating table with very, very, weak, uh, very weak hands. So I'm hopeful that when this coronavirus is over, uh, we can go back to the starting blocks and re-engineer our, our, our strategies in terms of how we move forward with the free trade area, in terms of how we catalyze you know, Africa, African economy, whether in the form of uh, regional infrastructure or even national infrastructure, in terms, in terms of how we provide for women and youth, you know, uh, uh, inclusion, political inclusion, having women in positions of power, I mean, there are countries in Africa like Rwanda, for example, which has the highest number of women in parliament. But there are also countries in Africa where you have a whole cabinet and you have only one or two women there and everybody else is, is a man. Now, women constitute more than 50%, slightly more than 50% of Africa's population. So how do you not tap into the talent of this huge population in order to be able to run your country effectively and even understand what issues the people, the people care about? So there's a whole lot that we have to happen with uh, with Africa when this is uh, this is over, but I'm hoping that this will be an inflection point, you know, because this has uh, the corona coronavirus has uh, ripped off the bandage on the state of preparedness of our healthcare systems. So in the past, a lot of rulers in Africa would travel abroad for medical uh, attention. Now, with all borders closed and uh, uh, they are, no one is able to fly abroad, they are now faced with the stark reality of remaining in their own country uh, and, uh, uh, and utilizing the medical, whatever medical facilities are available in their individual countries. So I'm hoping that when this is over, there will be more investment in the healthcare sector, more investment in education, more investment in technology, so that young people in Africa can have uh, tools that they need, the right education that they need, because they are the ones who will transform the continent. You know, I agree with you a hundred percent. And you know, the the I, I've got to tell you that I was, I'm not going to say happy to hear, uh, but I too thought that it was interesting that the wealthy uh, members of the African society who would otherwise rush off to Europe or America. Uh, for treatment, were actually uh, forced to reconcile with the um, 
the hospital system in their own in their own country because of uh, closed borders. So, as you said, hopefully this pandemic, as as awful as it is, will have you know ripped off the bandage to quote your um, the words that you use too, so that we can see we can deal with the, these major shortcomings in in the African society. But, I, you know, I should say, first of all, I'm an optimist, not a pessimist, but I, I still have to ask you the question. As much as we'd like to see these things happen, you say the infra- intra-Africa trade is at 17%. Is this still all wishful thinking, Kingsley? What? Uh, no. I think, I think it's, uh, it can be realized. It can be realized because, I mean, again, let, let's play the cop powerful here. It can be realized because over the past 20 years, there have actually been a lot of movements uh, in Africa, positive movements. For example, we have uh, more democracies now in Africa than ever before, than in like 15 years ago when a lot of countries were, were, were in uh, dictatorship. Uh, at the moment, we also also we also have fewer wars in Africa. You know, the crisis spots in Africa, you can say the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, South Sudan, Mali, uh, a little bit of uh, Burundi, Somalia, uh, and then uh, some some of the these uh, terrorist activities in uh, non other part of Africa. You know, this is not as big as let's say 10, 15 years ago when we had. The wars in Liberia and Syria alone, where hundreds of thousands of people were massacred on a daily basis, and even the wars, even the conflict spots that I just mentioned, there are processes underway to resolve those crises. So we actually, I'm actually hopeful that we are going to have an Africa uh, where the guns are silenced. That is one. As I mentioned before, there are many countries in Africa like uh, Rwanda or Mauritius or even South Africa where. A lot of women are active in government because we need women to be active. You know, Africa is, uh, as they say, patriarchal society, but that that uh, that bondage is being broken now, and women are coming up and are taking their rightful place in uh, at the at the at the table, at the governor's table. And then we have the African youth who are doing incredible things in Africa. You know, if you think about music, for example, some of the kids in Nigeria are basically ruling the world. Uh, the same thing with uh, Nollywood. If you go to Kenya, uh, what people are doing with technology there is, is incredible. Mobile money, you don't believe it. Mobile money. Eh? Mobile money, using your mobile phone to make payments. Uh, Kenya leads the entire world. That is where the whole thing started from, before anywhere else. So there's so much that is happening with Africa. What we just need now is a catalyst. We just need a catalyst. We need the people that will be alive to their responsibilities. And the, uh, uh, I'm also glad in by the fact that we are not having pan-African institutions like uh, the African Union Development Agency, which is modeled after the European Union. That's actually taken up this challenge so that development now is uh, along the lines of region not just at the national level. So you are going to have Lagos, Algiers Highway. So people can actually travel from Lagos to Algeria uh, on this superhighway. 
So there is the uh, Lagos uh, Abidjan corridor. This, along things like that, also, developments like that are also happening in various parts of Africa, in East Africa and all that. So that is happening now. The reason why this regional infrastructure is so useful, is so good, is because that you cannot be in Sierra Leone and uh, if you go to the supermarket in Sierra Leone, toothpicks are imported from China. Toothpicks, toothpaste imported from India. I mean, things, whereas you could simply import toothpaste from, from Ghana or Nigeria or these other countries. But you cannot right now because it's cheaper for you to bring them in from China than to bring them in from a country that is two hours by air away. So why is that? Because of uh, tariff and no tariff barrier. So in Trafficker Trade, stipulates provides that uh, uh, trade on most goods will not there will not be tariffs on on uh, most uh, most uh, most uh, goods that are produced on the continent. It sort of means that a lot of barriers that people face, you know, going through borders and all that, you know, passing through a million checkpoints before you can get to the next country, that all of those will be tackled. So, people, if you are in Ghana, you can trade easily with Nigeria without having to go through the the problems that the hassles that people have been going through. There's a friend of mine who is an Ethiopian and set up a, a coffee uh, export and uh, coffee and cocoa export and import company in, in Accra. Now, she pays as much as 35% on those goods to export, to import those goods. She has to pay 35% and she pays a, a, a huge amount of money to even take them out of the country. So why should that be, especially when you are taken to another African country? So in Africa trade, when it takes off, this free trade area, when it takes off, it should have taken off 1st of July this year. But when it finally takes off, it's going to be a game changer. For me, since independence, this will be the most decisive action that African countries have taken in terms of, uh, how, in terms of uh, catalyzing uh, Africa's development. So I'm really, really hopeful that uh, Africa is on the cusp of a new beginning, a new one. And how do I know? There are a few signs you will realize. You will realize that a whole lot of these countries, these regions, whether it's China, uh, in Asia, and and uh, and uh, India as well, or in Europe, uh, Britain, Germany, France, their leaders before now were all going to Africa to engage because they realize that Africa is uh, moving in the right direction and that uh, in a few years' time, I believe, within the next 10 years, that a lot, many of the leading economies in the world and their studies have been done that countries like Nigeria, Morocco, Egypt, South Africa will be among the top leading economies in the world in the next 10, 15 years. So I'm very, very hopeful, and I'm thinking that this has to happen in my lifetime. You know, not just for myself, but also for my, for the sake of my children. So we all see the Africa that we have been yearning for. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kingsley. You've given us a lot to uh, a lot to think about, and you also touched on on topics that I'm hoping that um, we can get you to come back and and discuss with us. 
um, perhaps with uh, another guest, the the the, the idea of um, Africa realizing the potential of its women. And in addition to some of the countries that you mentioned, I heard Ethiopia is also um, leading the way too in terms of women in in government and in the judicial um, system. Uh, it would be wonderful to see that 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 happening across the board through throughout Africa, uh, and that would be interesting because that is clearly that would clearly put them ahead of the uh, the the U.S. as we currently have it. In that in that regard, so I'm hoping that you know you'll be able to come back and talk to us a little bit on that, and maybe we'll have another uh, person, a female, who could probably uh, discuss this um, with us because I think that would be a fascinating topic, and it's one that's also close to my heart. The other thing that I'm seeing as I'm hearing this is that sounds to me like you're 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 a perfect candidate to to run. A country. I mean, perfect leadership um, here. You know so much about just about everything here. It'll be wonderful to see you uh, moving out of what you're currently doing and probably running for something. Who knows? Is that is that something in the back of your mind, or is it a? Or do you not want to talk about it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't no. want to put you on the spot now. No, I like I like my job and. Mm-hmm. You know, the UN is a fantastic place to work. Um, it's a preeminent multilateral institution in the world, organization in the world. And to be able to work with people from different cultures, different nationalities, you know, to solve global pro- pro- problems has been a, a great experience for me. Uh, and it just happens that a whole lot of what the UN does is in Africa. So that makes it particularly interesting now. Uh, so I'm just as in, I'm from Nigeria, but I'm just as interested in development in Ethiopia or Rwanda or Mauritius or Egypt as I am in Nigeria. So that uh, that's one of the good things working in the UN. You become a global citizen. Uh, it's not so much about your country, but it's it's, also, it's, it's more about uh, global well-being and development and peace and security and all that. So I'm happy. I'm happy with exactly what I'm doing. Ah. Okay. I guess you're right. You know, you, you get to deal with the, um, the, the, the entire continent as opposed to one country. I want to thank you so much. I've taken up a considerable amount of your time, but the information that you have provided is absolutely fabulous. And I want to make sure that you're going to agree to come back on and, and join us again at some point on, on a variety of other issues. But I really want to thank you for taking taking the time out to talk to us today. You've shared a lot of information that I know a lot of people are not aware of in in Africa and those who are here looking in as to what's going on. Because from what I hear, folks, you know, don't have a clue and they're thinking the worst. But from what you've told us here, it's a lot better than 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 what we're all imagining. So I want to say thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you so much, Moronke. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And on a final note, and from the mouth of babes, a little African girl, barely four years old, warns her country folks to wash their hands to protect everyone against the deadly coronavirus. No doubt you have seen many videos similar to this one with the same message 
take this virus seriously. So African people, you have to be careful. Protect yourself. Make sure to protect your mommy and daddy or your uncle and auntie. Please protect them. So I'm here to keep you safe. And then I'm, I'm doing the story and talking about coronavirus. So please, please, you have to keep your baby sister or baby brother safe, okay? Even, even if... Don't if you don't let your kids watch your hand, they touch their auntie and uncle or auntie and or mommy and daddy, they'll get sick. Please, I, I'm here to get you safe. See, everybody's scared. Don't be scared. Queen, Queen is here. Please, please be careful. Be careful. Please, African people. Please, African people. Please, wash your hand every day.